0: Welcome to the Figuring Out Families podcast by Magellan Media. Our guest today is Gerald Bain King. In Figuring Out Families we explore and build awareness of the issues faced by families today and in doing so set about figuring out families. This is episode seven in series one. guest on Figuring Out Families is Gerald Bain King, Principal of Christian Brothers College in St Kilda, Melbourne. Gerald has been a Principal and a Vice Principal for many years in the Catholic sector and in that time has had to deal with all kinds of families and all kinds of issues that affect families. Hello Gerald, welcome to Figuring Out Families. Thank you David and hello to you. Good to see you again after a number of years. Many years, yes. Tell us a bit about CBC. It's a school with a
1: very rich tradition and a diverse cultural mix. Yes, we're over 140 years old. Um, we celebrated our 140th a couple of years ago. Um, we've always been in an incredibly culturally diverse area in St Gilda East, and so we attract families from professional families, You know, whether they be journalists or, or lawyers, and we protect uh, right through to middle, middle professions through to um, then families who are new arrivals to the country. And I think our families really value that mix of people. Yeah, I'm sure they do. There was
0: a time when uh, CBC attracted students from a wide variety of socio-economic backgrounds
1: across Melbourne. That's still the case? Yeah, it is, David. Um, and we have quite a spread too. We have students coming from the inner west through to the inner north, through south-east and right down to Brighton where we are now. So, um, it, so they come from sort of all quarters of inner, what I'd call inner Melbourne. The, the students obviously don't mind a bit of travel then? They enjoy the train ride, yeah. I think it's part of the adventure of growing up that they're on the train, and they've got a little bit of independence, and travel with their friends. Did it myself. I can remember it. So yeah, well, if it's good enough for you, and then it's good enough for today's <laughs> students, obviously.
0: CBC uh, decided to allow female students to enrol for the very first time, following a decision by uh, Presentation College, which is just opposite you. Uh, earlier this year, they decided to close their doors after I think it's 146 years. Was that a
1: difficult decision, or was that something that just uh, we thought, no, we got to do it. Um, Well, obviously it wasn't my decision because our governing body, Edmund Rice Education Australia, are the people who make these decisions, but certainly we have conversations um, with them. Um, And certainly when I had conversations with uh, EREA, I I think they felt it was the only thing that we could possibly do, especially the first instance, which was there are girls there who need to have their education to continue and and who want to have their education continue in the pre. So the first decision was just to help out and, and ensure that any girl who wanted to be educated after the closure could find that education at CBC. Um, so that was the first commitment. Then a, a deeper reflection brought about the second commitment, which was for CBC to be an educator of girls and boys into the future. Yeah, that
0: obviously would not have been an easy decision for a presentation college. I mean, schools that size
1: don't close that
0: often these days.
1: No, I'm sure the sisters would have struggled with that and, um, for quite some time. And, you know, my thoughts always go to the community because schools are living communities and they're, they're very rich places and to lose a school is always a huge loss.
0: Did you have uh, any pushback from uh, your families at CBC or were most of them on
1: board? I think that it was more a case of having conversations with families than uh, dealing with pushback. Uh, Look, our families are great. They engage in um, conversations with you. So I made it my business to, uh, if I received an email, to ring a family or or a parent and and talk to them about the decision and why we made it and and just talk how we'd go, go through the process. And once they realised that, um, you know, we were thinking it through in a, a reasonably clear and intelligent way, they were happy to engage in that discussion with us and go along with us. That's good. Communications being the key
0: word, I suppose, is if you keep school communities on board and keep them abreast of the situation every step of the way, then uh, I've found in previous jobs that I've had with Catholic
1: schools or schools generally that uh, the people generally are fine with it. I agree with you, David. I think communication is really important. Sometimes people can be a bit fearful about communication just because you might worry that you don't get everything perfectly said um, and somebody might catch you out on some um, contradiction that wasn't intended but generally I feel that um, when you do your best to communicate with your families they respect the fact that you're the leader of the school you've got certain responsibilities they are parents Their, their job isn't to run the school but they believe they have the legitimate right to know what sits behind your decision making and how you might um move forward and once they have a sense of confidence in that they don't want to get involved any further i think they get they more get worried when uh if they feel that there's not enough transparency so generally our, our community values communication yeah that's good that's good
0: Are families generally invested in the the life of a school today? Not just your school
1: and your own experience recently, but generally? Look, it probably does depend on the school and there's no doubts about the fact that the research is clear, when families value education, their children do better. So, families who understand that um, invest themselves in the life of the school and, you know, that can happen in our school, say for example, whether it be families going to watch a sporting event or coming to uh, our music performance nights or whatever, and their investment usually relates to what their sons or daughters are involved in. Um, But also, you have to be very aware of the fact that some families are just so time poor and so to get into a school is really really hard for for them but i think that's critically where it's really critically important that the families understand the values that drive what you do and if they understand the va- what the values are and they are confident that you're doing your best to live out the values then they can at least sort of um s- not sit back but they can they can sort of say okay we, we know what's going on and we can sort of predict what will happen yeah. and, and i think sometimes they have if you like a um a, a sort of a Un, um, a, a philosophical investment in the school, even when they can't be there. Yes. Do you, do parents expect too much of schools these days? Do they expect schools to be like de facto parents? Um, it's a really good question. I think that. I, well, I say to parents that, um, and you know, I say this is Catholic ch- teaching. Um, parents are the primary educators of the children, yes. and we are the secondary educators, and we are uh, not only the s- secondary as educators, but we we run a distant second to them, and so we build on what they do, um, and I think that we reinforce that really strongly at our school, and. Therefore, we stress that it's a partnership. That means that the school does have a greater role than perhaps was once understood to be a school's role, which is quite some time ago. But that, you know, that the school just handled the academics and the extracurricular programs and everything else that... that could be handled um, at at the family level. Uh, My belief is that that it's just not that simple. Families have an important role to play um, in in establishing guidelines and values and beliefs, but schools have have the the same role to do do it there so that the the young people can see that it's not, oh, it's only my family, but they can see the community of the school and the family roughly are on the same song sheet. Okay. So that's how I would see
0: it. Sure what sort of things do families become involved with with the school these days I imagine it's changed a lot since I was at school which is many years ago do they involve themselves in in more
1: uh, extracurricular activities and those sorts of things well in some sense no because you know we have this revolution in our society that's probably you know a 30 to 50 year revolution but it's still in the time in that in a, a time scale of a society it's a short time and that is that both members of, of most families families are working and so they are very time poor Um, so they they do come as much as they can but they come to things that value add for them to, to use sort of almost business or marketing language so for example we'll have um fathers and sons nights or and mothers and sons nights and where they um we have somebody who facilitates that and facilitates conversations with their young people but also has them see the peers of the young people, hear them talk um, in these facilitated sessions about really significant life values they will come in their droves to that because yeah. it, it, it enriches the work that they do as families. Whereas if we say, come to us because we're special and we set ourselves as separate to families, yeah. no, they won't come. Right. So it's really ensuring that um, we are relevant to the family, um, but but not in a way where we're sort of um, doing things that the parents should do, but in ways that help the parent because parents and families are isolated in their own way. Yeah. Is it harder to be relevant when you're dealing with a lot of different cultures as well? No, I don't don't think so at all. I think um, it's it's easy. I mean, we're lucky as Catholic schools because we have these incredibly rich values that sort of underpin everything we do. And when people come to our schools, they know we're about this. And so we therefore... Deliver this, but we deliver it in an inclusive way. We don't deliver it in a a, a, a culturally narrow way. Because the great thing about our Catholic values, even though people often think you know Catholicism is a very culturally narrow institution, it's not. It's 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 culturally deep and rich and wide. Sure. So if we deliver it in that deep, rich, wide way, and in an inclusive way, um, and ensure that we are, um, you know, look after our families and understand the different needs that families have for example some are you know economically really challenged when we work with those families then it's not a problem um, certainly i would say that some for some families it's it can be difficult connecting with school because from their homeland, um, the institution of education is either something they're not used to. We seem like these massive um, entities that um, have an incredible social standing and they haven't seen that in their own community. Or if they've seen it, it's only for the most privileged of people. And so sometimes they're a little bit fearful or reluctant to engage because they're not sure what they're going to encounter. And that's Probably the only area where families do struggle. Okay, Gerald, do you see a correlation
0: between parent involvement uh, and a child's academic achievement? Absolutely,
1: yeah. Cle- clearly. Clear involvement. I mean, I think it's it's one factor, but it's a it's a significant factor. I, um, I'm a great believer that um, you, you know. Um, What happens at school is a really important indicator for what may happen in life, but it is not the indicator because certain uh, certain young people are not ready for the level of engagement that that success for success in school. They're not ready at that time, and their readiness comes in their twenties and sometimes in their thirties. So, the, the reality is, and we could all list people who have not been highly successful at school, and turned out to be extraordinarily successful in life. Absolutely. And so one of the things that I'm a great advocate for is that we don't judge young people on their journey and we don't say, you know, he's getting a C average, therefore he's obviously pretty thick. Yes. That's just not the case. Um, he's just not ready at this stage. Yeah. And so um, I think it's, it's uh, really important that we understand that, yes, people... Um, the the home environment is massively important but the the journey that the young person is taking and whether it's their genetics that unfolds that journey or whether it's environmental factors, but that journey that they're on that has a massive impact. And then the school and the teacher they are they they're the third factor in the whole
0: thing. Sure, we all do progress at different times. You're right. I got a, a, an E for English in grade three, and then I got an A for English in year twelve. So and became a journalist. Yeah. If I'd kept up with the F
1: grade, I would never have become a journalist. That's right. <laughs> and look, and I was a fairly, I was a, a quite a a secondary um, school student myself and then it wasn't until university that all of a sudden i would i became um a top student and you know usually the best student in my in the course that i was doing at university so but at school they probably would have considered me a bit of a dullard yeah well that, and that's why i know schools are very good these days
0: they tell students especially in year 10 11 and 12 look You know the exams are important, but they're not the be-all and end-all. They're not not, life-defining. No, not at all. Things happen afterwards, and you'll probably have numerous jobs anyway. In this day and age, there are jobs that
1: will be around in 10 years that haven't even been thought of. It's absolutely true, and it's one of the great dilemmas of education, because we know we're in a society which is undertaking tremendous change in terms of how people work, but also the, the sort of work that they do, and um education is still partially uh, uh, ha- has programs that are, are- uh, designed for, if you like, fic- more fixed um, um, knowledge requirements and skills. And uh, we now have to try and are, and and I know we're doing it at our school and across many schools, where we're trying to make the learning much more adaptive and less fixed and knowledge less fixed. Knowledge is something that we see as evolving rather than as something that was uh, ca- cast in stone. So, yeah. And the community really struggles with this. Yeah. Um, And I think it's one of the things, if you talk about tensions between schools and communities, that would be an area where the community really says, what are you doing? You know, this is crazy what you're doing, Um, and compared to what they understand. um, Well, what they were brought up, their education. Yeah, and look... It's a, it would, there are two th- education is is like um, a parenting everybody has an experience or most just about everybody has an experience of being parented and most about everybody has an experience of being in school and as a consequence everybody feels they're a bit of an expert that's right they're and, always right yeah that's right <laughs> now you've been a
0: principal for many years so yep. how's the well-being and pastoral care of students changed in that
1: period um, probably, you know, like I've been a principal for 15, but it was a deputy for five. And I would say, especially when I became a deputy, I noticed particularly the complexity of services and ways in which we support students um, compared to um, a far more shallow and narrow approach that, that, that took place. And we now understand that, um, you know, mental health issues are complex, um, that students come from very very varied environments which are also complex and it is in this period of childhood and adolescence that we have a real opportunity to have a positive impact on someone's life. So the services are are more complex and often we, you know, uh, we have a school counsellor at our school which she will often have to refer out, but it's not just what we do in, in those terms. Everybody has a responsibility to to deliver quality well-being, it's not to, uh, you know. I remember, you know, probably 20 years ago, a, a staff member might think I can yell at the, yell at this student, but then I might send her, send him or her to the counsellor. Um, and what I do and what the counsellor does, they're completely different things. Yes. Whereas now, I think um, our, our teachers are far more aware of the fact that what they do, um, and what the counsellor do, have got to be aligned because um, what is likely to promote well-being is not what the counsellor does but it's what the community does okay. and you have to be your community has to create um a rich and caring environment that a young person feels safe in. It's not just a one-person approach, it's no. a
0: whole community approach. No, it is. And that would be the big change in the last 40, 50 years?
1: Yeah, it would be. And um, look, as, as Catholics, we've always talked about the importance of community. But, you know, when I first went into education, I I think, again, people would talk about community but then engage in practices which I think were community breaking and trust breaking as far as young people were concerned. And uh, um, education educators have to, had to change the way they deal with young people so that that trust is there. And and that's the criti- critical thing. Um, if you don't have trust, young people won't go with you. Oh, they see through it straight away, don't they? They, they do. They're looking for hypocrisy. Yes. But you know, in some cases, it's not just a case of um, looking for hypocrisy sometimes a person does something which is just so blatantly at, at odds with what the school says they are about or they even say they're about yeah. that a young person easily spots that that person is not an authentic person and young people are looking for authenticity yeah fair enough too yeah are children better off or worse socially
0: these days <laughs> we with, with you know new technologies iPhones smartphones whatever you want to call them
1: yeah it's a far different world to when you and I were growing up it's a far more complex world um, I think if, uh, when you and I were growing up should we be fortunate to live in a um, a, a, a well-parented, um, loving environment and sent to the right school environment? Probably it was a much safer, easier community. Should we be at the margins? Probably it was worse, tougher, yes. harder um, and yeah, you know, r- really difficult. Now, if you're at the margins, you probably have... Um, I think much greater chance of being cared for, but if you like the generally um, students, I think have a f- far harder road to toil, and that's based on the on the um, on what you alluded to, which is um, so not only social media but digital media all all over, and yes. um, and this is created a, a world of so much complexity for them, and I'm a great believer that um, young people need fairly simple narratives to begin with, simple. Narratives Narratives that are true, yeah. and then as they get older, can can um, be assisted to work out um, how it, the world is far more complex. Um, whereas now they're getting the complexity of the narrative right in the middle yes. of their uh, their adolescence, and uh, and they're getting fed so much information with so much diversity of views, but also so many different types of experiences that you and I didn't have. And I think that's in, um, making a, the adolescent journey a longer one. Right. They're talking about a second adolescence now in the 20s. and um, And certainly what I see, young people are not settling down to what you'd call a... A straightforward you know established let's just call it a semi-established life in their 20s they're starting to do that in their 30s and so they're 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 working to explore the world they're trying to make sense of things um and because the world is far more complex for them and they've yeah. got greater opportunities
0: for as sure. well sure there's certainly a lot more opportunities uh speaking of families and children what sort of issues do you see that families and students have these days are they different
1: uh, issues that uh, perhaps we experienced 40, 50 years ago? Look, that's a hard question to sort of generalise on. I I think that we're lucky with our community in as much that um, we don't see a lot of domestic violence, which is really, really good. Now, some of it may be hidden from us, but certainly um, I would have thought Probably, when I first began in education, there was more domestic violence okay. and more probably authoritarianism that led to domestic violence, if you like that type of family model, whereas now I would say that our our families are far more thoughtful. Um, I think sometimes families are not engaged. They have so much happening in their lives that their children are not getting um, the care that they need. Now again, this is not the majority of families, this is some families, um, and so that that can be an issue. Um, I think The grappling with the adolescent journey is something that families um, really struggle with because to be effective parent is just like um educators for to be effective that you have to be authentic so how you find that authentic voice whilst saying to a teenager no you can't do this yes you can i am in control well no i'm only partly in control all of these conversations require a, h- a lot of thinking through yes. and so i think families need a um, much higher levels of education so because we're moving from the authoritarian mo- model and, and, a, and a model where it is more, you know, to use that that sort of language that certainly happened when I was trying the authoritative model where the the parents are more authentic leaders of their children, that requires every, as every child goes through the various stages of adolescence and adolescence is full of these mini stages, they have to make mini adjustments yeah. and so they have to be, um, to, to use that term on point all the time Mm -hmm. and adjusting all the time rather than just saying you know i'm dad and i do this and this is my thing boom um well that doesn't work for families
0: no No, fair enough what's what if you identify a problem with a student at school what sort of assistance can you provide either at your school cbc or schools generally um
1: well the the first part of the identification process, as I said earlier, is a trust one because generally the only way you find out – occasionally you find out because a student's not turning up or a, yeah. a student might come in some form of disarray. Our, we rarely have students who come in to school in bad shape, so to speak. Yeah. So the problems are, are, are more likely to be identified if a student's absent from school or if that student discloses. And so for that student to disclose, you need that trust trust to start with yep. and then once you do that then it's entering into a conversation with the student to try and figure out where the, where the problem sits or what seems to be where the problem sits and then when you know that then you look at the various services that are available for that young person sure and there are a lot of services available yep. in this day and
0: age you, you alluded to that earlier yeah that those sort of services just weren't around 40 50 years ago whereas no. now
1: they are no that that that's absolutely right, um and they're needed, and they're needed, as I said before my pet theory is because the um, we don't have a binding narrative in our society the way we used to and so because we don't have a binding narrative we have these multiple narratives and a higher degree of relativism young people are a little a lot more lost but on top of that we've got the social media and the capacity for young people to access all sorts of things and and you know we can't forget simple addictions and um, and when I mean simple simple addictions addictions to things like gaming yeah. you know and occasionally we'll have a boy who his parents can't get him out of his bedroom because he's gaming he's up all night he's up all night and it and it's a real addiction and there's been research into it at how, how, how the gaming affects the brain and how it, it, it if roughly it operates the way a gambling addiction operates yeah. and 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 a, a lot of um, um, social media that's another form of addiction a lot of social media and gaming is built to, to to stimulate and hyperstimulate and continue to reward, and so that you get young people get stuck. Yeah. And and so they they they're probably the really new frontiers for all of us. Sure. Do you get
0: many parents, mum or dad, ringing you out of the blue saying, uh, "Tom or John has got a
1: problem with such and such. Can you help?" They rarely ring me. They usually would ring our um, school counselor or possibly might might come out of a conversation sometimes you know uh, um uh, what we call our program leaders some some schools call them year level coordinators might be having a conversation with a parent about how a boy reacted to a situation or how this happened or he doesn't seem, he seems to be dropping off in his studies whatever it is and from that conversation then the deeper issue will emerge um occasionally parents will ring and say help but Generally not. Right. It gets back to that trust thing too, building up trust with parents. Trust is enormous.
0: Yeah, I imagine so, absolutely. We've talked a bit about new technologies and the impact that can have on students. Uh, Is it affecting students in other ways, Um, except for the obvious, like you mentioned, you know, child being up all night on their gaming
1: machine or whatever? Yeah, I think it is. I I think the the, the two areas where it's really affecting young people, one is that... um, It's having an impact on their concentration. Yes. Um, You know, again, when I was at school, even at university, uh, when I was set a task, I just got on with the task and did the task, whether I found it interesting or not. Um, For a young person, um, the idea that something um, should be boring is a really... (laughs) uh, That's a foreign concept. And and the the trouble is with... um, Whether it be social media or any other digital media um the um we don't we're not bored driving here today i was stopped at the lights and some an elderly couple were trolling across the pedestrian crossing at snail's pace but just at snails at equal snail's pace was a probably a 13 year old boy looking down at his phone shuffling behind the elderly couple now if it had been me as a 13 year old back when i was a 13 year old yeah. i would have burst across that road so would have been so full of energy and so d- determined to get over the walk and get to school yeah. whereas he's just on his phone and he's in phone zone and, and and i think that's one of the real challenges for young people yeah and you see it all the time i brought this up in a few
0: previous podcasts but you can't help but notice that if you get on public transport Everyone, young people, they're all glued to their phones. No one is talking, they're all just staring at their phone. That must have an impact on face-to-face yeah. relationships. And it worries me what it's going to be like, that generation, in 10, 20 years' time. Well, we've banned phones from
1: um, school unless um, there's a need for it. Um, and so they can't have their phones out in the yard. They can't have their phones out in the class. And that's so that they are engaged in the moment with other people in physical space rather than in virtual space. Uh, so it, there's that side of it, the, the issue of communication, But the, the other issue, which I'll go back to the boredom issue, some things that you do in uh, in life are boring and you need to get through the boring things to get to uh, have the, the, the depth of understanding or to train your brain just to go run the marathon rather than the sprint. And yes. one of the problems with um, digital media, it's all about sprint. Yes. It's all about... Do this quickly, get a reward. Do this quickly and get a reward. And so I'm, I worry about the, the depth of our thinking and the loss of the depths of thinking that um, social media might bring about. But that's to be found and discovered. Sure. The other
0: point uh, that we've brought up a few times, the sexualisation of young people at an early age is a big problem today. We haven't talked about it yet on this, but in previous podcasts. Have teachers had to acquire a new skill set over the decades to deal with these types of social issues? Uh,
1: Look, teachers probably generally... Will will identify and talk about it. Say in an RE class or in an English class where issues and values are talked about. Yes, they'll they'll have conversations with young people, which are, which is germane to the. To the curriculum, but um, in the case of you know particular events, when something like this arises, as with many other things, teachers are asked to report it to the appropriate person so that yeah. people with the expertise can deal with it. Because these are extraordinarily delicate issues, um, sure. especially when you know it relates to um, sexting and all those sorts of things, um, where young people are, are ex- exposing themselves to risk that they don't understand at all no. um, and they're engaging in activities that really they don't they don't appreciate it's just another fun thing that they're doing or somebody else is doing it they're doing it because somebody else is doing it yeah. so you know that whole sexualization is an issue but you know I sometimes see um, you know, five-year-olds dressed in ways, and I think to myself, my God, you know, why do you need to dress this child in this way, and um, Yeah, well you can't help some parents, I suppose No, <laughs> no.
0: Five-year-olds are totally innocent.
1: Yeah, and, and and the thing is though, that sometimes um, it, it becomes a norm and they and sometimes people don't see it as a, a form of sexualization. and yeah. and so, you know, my wife and I were having this conversation where she was saying, for some women, this is a a case of an assertion of their right to be whoever they are and however they are mm. and, and and for them it 's a strong assertion of just being a woman and, and doing it as a and how you react to it that 's your business so yes. there are multiple yeah. viewpoints yeah. around as we work this, our way through it sure. Uh, Good education is obviously
0: paramount. Nobody would disagree with that. Can you provide some insights into how parents can give their uh,
1: children the best support to help them in their education? Yeah, there's a book in that. Um, (laughs) I think the simplest thing is, firstly, you've got to have a stable, happy, supportive environment. Good education generally doesn't happen without that. Um, But you've also, you know, and I'll talk more as an educator of boys for the moment, but most of it could apply to girls, but... You, you need to have an environment um, which is physically conducive to for the young person to learn, and you need to have um, if you like rituals or habits within in the home that support learning so you know like homework like ensuring i talk to families and boys about the habits of life and the the habits of life are as equally important as sort of um being able to work out your times table because if you don't have the right habits of life you it doesn't support um, um your concentration in class and the, a perfect example is getting get enough sleep Yes. You know, and you think, oh, well, that's, 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 he's oversimplifying things now. We all know you should get enough sleep. But the reality is most teenagers don't get enough sleep. Yeah. Right. Simple problem. The, yeah, the reality is most teenagers aren't don't have the uh, the right balance in their lives in terms of sometimes eating um, sometimes the stimulants that they take in whether it's just be coffee or tea, so some of those habits of life, but also, but, a, but a home where say for example home study it happens in, in what I call in the um, engine room of the house which is usually the kitchen dining area um, and that the family is present when the home room ha- homework happens and the family's not hovering, but the family is ready to either lighten the situation if frustration emerges or to just say, uh, you know, mum, how do you spell so-and-so? This is how you spell it. Boom, yeah. um, and so, and and the thing is, I'm a great believer in subliminal messages, and the it, it, it is the practical virtue of doing it. But when you put um, the learning in the centre of the house, and you're around, and you can answer a question, you are sending your child a very powerful subliminal message, and that is their schoolwork matters. Yes. Now it's not it's not pressure. Uh, if you, if you're leaning over them saying if you don't get a, a, an a if you had a b plus if you don't get an a i know you can do that da 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 that's 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 not helpful right but it, but if you're there supportive and engaged and interested um then they're really important things that parents can do to support their their young person's learning. Yeah. Um, you've probably actually asked...
0: The, I'll ask this question
1: anyway, but I think you've already asked it. One bit of advice to parents,
0: to for their kids, that they can get the best out of high school. If it was just one thing you could say to
1: parents, what would that be? Uh, well, it does go back to... Ha- ha- um, f- home life. It's certainly to talk positively about school and the school experience but understand your child's experience as being authentic um, and every child has a different experience of high school so the ups and downs and and recognise that. So it's about listening and responding and being that wise person not that reactive person that's really critical um, so that the young person understands you're not writing them all the time, you're not on their case but you are concerned and are wanting them to get the most out of their experience so it's it's that wise thing and I, i i talk to parents and i know i'm gabbling on here but i talk to parents about um in 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 the late years of primary school they are in the the zone of having control over their kids generally most parents can make their child do x or y or z and and the 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 locus of the child is the family um somewhere in the early teenage years all of a sudden um that begins to disappear so families if they set up Something that um, habits in the family, attitudes in the family. When adolescence hits, then they can then they're already embedded. Like, ha- What do you do with your phone? We leave it in the kitchen at night, and we ch- we all have a charge point, for example. Right. And so when adolescence comes, and why are you making me do this? Don't you trust me? <laughs> that that's already been in habit- embedded as a habit at home. Yes. So that sort of thing, and then. G- Recognising at different stages of adolescence that they have to change and 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 connect with the um, their children in different ways. And so there are some really gifted parents who know how to do that really
0: well. Yes, and it's not easy being a parent, as we know. We no. get some things right, some things wrong, but it all gets back to love, communications, trust, and that other word you used, authenticity. Yeah, you're right. Gerald Bain King, thank you very much. My for Being on Figuring Out Families. Thank you so much. Thank you to Gerald Bain King for being our guest on Figuring Out Families. Visit our website at www.magellan.media forward slash guides where you'll find many free valuable resources and links to help you address issues you may have in your family. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode and remember to visit www.magellan.media for more details or to leave a comment. You can also leave a comment on our Figuring Out Families Facebook page. Thanks for listening. I'm David Ahern. Until next time, this has been Figuring Out Families brought to you by Magellan Media.